You're listening to the Regent College Podcast. Welcome to the Regent College Podcast. I'm your host, Claire Perini, and today we're privileged to have two guests in the studio, Phil Long and Adam Back. Phil is the professor of Old Testament here at Regent, and he joined the faculty in 2000, Mm -hmm. back in the day, having taught in St. Louis and in Germany. He co-authored a book with Ian Proven and Tremper Longman, A Biblical History of Israel, and has served on a variety of Bible translation projects, including the New Living Translation, the English Standard Version, and the NIV Study Bible. What did it feel like to write the Bible? feels good if you could only get, uh, you know, a cut of the royalties. That would be excellent. (laughs) And he's written books such as The Rain and The Rejection of King Saul, A Case for Literary and Theological Coherence, and The Art of Biblical History. Phil is also a trained painter, but we'll get to that in a second. Adam Back is a Regent alum who graduated in 2015 with a double concentration. Well, it's kind of a triple concentration because he did one in Biblical Studies and one in the Arts, and Biblical Studies is kind of two... Indeed. Are you crazy? Indeed. Mm -hmm. His integrative project in the arts and theology was titled The Whole Enchilada and was the 2015, April 2015 gallery show in Regent's Lookout Gallery. Uh, And Adam is going to begin to teach a class at Columbia Bible College in visual arts in a theological context. So never underestimate the guy who works at Regent as a facilities assistant cleaning our washrooms and keeping random people out of the building. We're both. I am delighted to have you both here. Thanks, Thanks. Claire. Thanks for being here. Now, so our producer says you're both trained painters. Is that true? What does that even mean? Well, I will start because his training is probably far in advance of mine. (laughs) Um, I was uh, simply I was trained uh, at Wheaton College. I did an art major there in fine arts. So that's the extent of my formal training, other than things growing up. But I always loved art, so in that sense, I would take advantage of summer um, clinic that some traveling artist would provide or something. My parents would take advantage of that to be shed of me for a couple of weeks at a time. (laughs) Yeah, totally. How about you, Adam? Um, I did a bachelor's of fine arts and then went straight into a master's in painting, Mm -hmm. and I finished those in 2006, so it was a nice long run of lots of school and Lots of courses, lots of painting. Awesome. Um, So what I thought it would be good to have a bit of a conversation today is about the interplay between your your training and your work in the visual arts in various capacities and then your reading and your deep study of scripture. So, Phil, why don't you start us off? How has your training as a painter aided your study of scripture? Well, uh, one of the first things you learn as a, as a visual artist is that you need not assume, if you're, if you're doing representational art, don't assume that you know what an object or a landscape or a face looks like. Mm-hmm. Actually look closely, pay close attention, observe, notice the subtleties. And um, the, the job of the artist and the, and the privilege of an artist is having been trained to really find those subtle shades of color and such to then accentuate them somehow in the work so that other people see them. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes a portrait perhaps more interesting in some cases, if it's well done, than a photograph where the colors are dead on, absolutely true, but they're not enlivened by, by the artist's eye. Mm-hmm. And so close observation is very important in, in representational art. And I think it's 
um, equally important in reading Scripture um, or in reading any text because often we assume, oh, I know that text. I've read that before. I, I've been there. I understand it. Well, maybe we don't. Maybe we haven't seen the the subtleties that are actually there. So that was a refreshing. That's one thing. You know, I could go on and say several things, but we can toggle back and forth. I can say some others. But I think that 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 whole observational task and and recognizing that in reading Scripture, we're supposed to look closely, attend well to what's actually there and not just make assumptions. Oh, I know that story. Mm-hmm. So that, that's one thing that mm-hmm. really helped. Yeah. How about you, Adam? Is there things that, yeah, things that have been helpful or the way that one has informed the other in your, both of your studies? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's pretty similar to Phil and what he's saying about observation, uh, training your perceptions mm-hmm. of things in a way, uh, learning, learning to slow down and look really well. Um, and, and that takes lots of time. Uh, I had tons of drawing courses. Just I, the first drawing course I ever had, we spent six weeks drawing cardboard boxes. There was a pile of cardboard boxes in the middle of the room. Everybody in the world thinks they know what a stinking cardboard box looks like. After those first few drawings, we're like, I, I have no idea in the world what this thing is. Uh, and then we spent six weeks getting intimately acquainted with a cardboard box. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the similarities with exegesis, mm-hmm. you jump in and you get intimately acquainted with really old texts and languages and mm-hmm. all of it. You have to slow down and pay attention and yeah. as much as you can set your own preconceived notions about things aside yeah. uh, so that so that you can see what's before you. Mm-hmm. Do you have any? Do, do either of you have um, st- a story or an anecdote of where you've thought you've even when in your study you've thought, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know what this is, and then you've looked at it more closely and it's and it's and something stood out. I mean, it's, it's as you're saying, it's happening. It happens all the time. But there has, has was there ever a time where you thought that's completely different, or I had completely missed something that I had? Is there anything that comes to mind as a well, we miss things all the time yeah. and continue to, <laughs> yeah. but hopefully we, um, through our own eyes or the eyes of others, sometimes discover things. Um, this may not be an answer to the question precisely as you're asking it, but one of the things that was a realization to me that relates to art, in a sense, was um, when I was doing my Ph.D. work. It was in the, in the early to mid-'80s. And um, it was just about the time that a number of books on the poetics of biblical narrative were coming out or the the character of biblical literature. And uh, through the reading of these books and engagement with the Saul narratives, for example, I was was noticing how well-crafted these stories were, how um, masterful they were in their literary uh, brushstrokes. And I remember initially thinking, but I... I thought these were history. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought I was. I thought this was the history of Saul, and now I'm finding it's wonderfully well-crafted literature. And uh, though I didn't put a stake in the ground, and like this was the day I realized this, I do recall <laughs> there was a there was a moment in time when it suddenly dawned on me that my, you know, early career when I was first married, I worked for part of that first year as a portrait artist, earning a living by capturing historical subjects in an artistic medium. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't do well in capturing the likeness, my uh, patron was not 
satisfied, you know, never happened, of course, mm. but should I have not done that, uh, had I not done that, they wouldn't have... On the odd occasion, on the that odd occasion, have been yes, possible. If mm-hmm. I were ill or something, yeah. um, it might have happened. But, um, but generally, they were, they were satisfied, and I got paid, but they were satisfied because I captured their child, a historical mm-hmm. subject, captured the likeness, but I did it entirely in an artistic medium. Mm. I didn't take a piece of that child and mm-hmm. plaster it onto a canvas. Mm-hmm. I, I represented mm-hmm. that child. And so I, that, that, that gave me a, a sense of um, avoiding the false dichotomy that I continue to find, and some of us who read in the field will continue to find, well, this, is, this biblical text is literary. It's not historical. Yeah. What, those are not mutually exclusive options. No. You wouldn't say that of a portrait. Hey, that's a work of art. That's not a work of reference. So that was a that was a realization mm-hmm. that was was very helpful and it and it came from my art background. I'm not sure how I would have probably made a similar discovery somehow, but it was the art background that enabled me to bring those two together. Artifice and representation of a historical subject. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. How about you, Adam? Any times of, you know, light bulb realization? I mean, tons of course. But yeah, lots, yeah. lots, <laughs> um, all the time. Uh, I, th- I think the, the stab I'd take at it, uh, learning to understand art, to read a painting, as it were, make sense of the thing in front of you, uh, and how important the whole thing is that's in front of you, mm-hmm. and not taking little snippets of it yeah i like this one little part here um and and then getting into interpretation and hermeneutics and and whatnot and Mm. how important the relationship is between the whole and the parts and i remember uh looking at rembrandt's painting storm on the sea of galilee and having to i hate using the word dissect but Mm look at this thing really closely and you start counting all the people in the boat. I think there's 14, Mm. but there should only be 13 Mm. Jesus and the disciples. So who's the 14th guy? And there's this little fella right in the, the, on the gunnel of the boat, holding his hat down, gripping the, gripping the side of the boat. And then when you learn more about Rembrandt, you're like, wait a minute, that looks like the other self portrait. Mm. So this, this little guy in the, holding onto the side of the boat, like Rembrandt's painted himself into the into the scene, mm. and it's just this wonderful little like like he's there mm. in the midst of it. He's imagined himself into that um, so much, and it, it just captures the whole thing mm. beautifully there. But I, unless I was really paying attention to the the details mm-hmm. and trying to relate them in a way, uh, almost tell a story with the painting in front of you. I think, yeah, I guess yeah. That, that'd be a yeah. sort of a stab at it. Oh, that's helpful. I thought of another answer to Good, your question. Great, yeah, go for it. You know, we love that. Go. Takes yeah. me a while. The yeah. old the old cognition is uh, slowing down. It's um, all about taking time yeah, and slowing down. Yeah, that's right. So slowing down, observing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was writing a couple of years ago on, on Nahum. So, mm-hmm. so your question is, you know, where have – has looking more closely, observing more attentively, helped been been instructive. And the interesting thing about Nahum is it begins with a, a phrase that is not very doesn't sound very complimentary about the Lord. It says, um, "The Lord is a jealous and avenging God." Oh, good. Okay, so yeah, wonderful. 
Um, but then it says, a verse later, it says, the Lord is slow to anger. Well, that's better. And then before you know it, it's saying, um, if I can get down here, verse 7, the Lord is good. But I thought he was a jealous and avenging God. Now you're telling me he's good. I didn't think jealousy and, and vengeance were good. But looking more closely, okay, a little plug for Hebrew, learning <laughs> Hebrew. Um, looking up those words in Hebrew, I discovered, of course, that um, jealousy is a good thing if it's in protection of a relationship. Okay, It's right to be jealous if a relationship that is right and good is under threat. You want to be jealous for that relationship. And also even vengeance, which at its heart in, in Hebrew has to do with the establishment of lawful justice. So God is the one who comes to judge the earth. Well, we think of judgmentalism. That's you know. So these are these are examples of where, you know, at first blush, it seems like like, well, do I even like that God? Yeah. But a closer look, you see things that you didn't see at first, mm. and I, I think a lot of our society never sees. Mm. They just often do a surface level, don't really look closely. So, I, one of my kind of mottos recently has been. If you encounter a problem in the text, don't look away. Look closer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Problem in the biblical text. Don't yeah. look away. Look closer. And yeah. often there's riches there. Yeah. So that's one example. Yeah, that's a great example. Um, and this is, I think this is sort of, we could, this could lead into something I was thinking I wanted to have you talk a little bit more about. So in the, your book, The Art of Biblical History, um, you say when we're looking at the historical character of the Bible, we do well to recognize that the Bible contains a variety of stories, some meant to illustrate truth and some meant to establish it. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think by, by stories that illustrate truth, I'm really thinking of parables, mm-hmm. you know, like Jesus' parables or Jotham's fable, um, things that, are, in, in terms of their genre, are set up as illustrative stories. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other stories that are meant to establish God's work in the world and his history of redemption. And there I, I think it's important, if we're talking about the history of redemption, that is supposed to be meaningful to embodied space-time uh, historical individuals such as ourselves, there where the Bible makes a truth claim about history, there I think it's important mm-hmm. that that truth claim be, you know, be, be true. So I, you know, I've written a few things on the Bible and history because I think the Bible does make historical truth claims, but not every text in the same way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that, that's kind of what I'm getting at mm-hmm. there. That um, this, it's not as if the illustrative stories are not, in one sense, establishing truth. Mm-hmm. Because when Jesus gives us a parable, that, that's a pretty authoritative yeah, yeah. parable. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the ones that establish the the character of God's mm-hmm. salvific work in the sweep of human history, mm-hmm. that's what I'm really talking about mm-hmm. in terms of establishing yeah, yeah. what God has been doing, what he continues to do today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, Adam, do you want to talk to, us, talk to us a little bit more about your studies maybe here at Regent um, and how you, how you integrated those things sort of in your um, – so how you integrated that side, your biblical studies side and your art side kind of in your final project, how, that, how, those, how one of those informed the other – Anything you want to say about that? <laughs> Anything at all. <laughs> I think I still remember the first lecture I had in uh, in my first year at Regent in the Christian Thought and Course, Christian Thought and Culture Course, uh, with and it, it was Ian Provins' mm. lecture, 
our story, God's story, mm-hmm. where do you find yourself? It's about story. I don't remember the title, of course. But um, where do you find yourself in the story? How big is the story you think you're a part of? And that always, I, I, that hooked me pretty early mm-hmm. on. And so most of my papers, most of the books that I, I read when when I was able to go and do my own research, uh, they often hooked into that bigger idea of, like, what's what's the story of reality? What's mm. what's going on if we're going to assume that uh, there is a God, uh, that that God created a good world? Where am I in that story? What? Yeah. How does that impinge upon my own life mm-hmm. here? Uh, and I think I struggled since going to college uh, and and doing all the background in in the arts, but also having a love for the Bible, a love for theology. Never really finding how those two things came together. They always seem to be at odds with each other. And that that question about well, how big is the story you're telling? I think the um, the background I had in church did not always give me a big enough story to see those two things uh, as running alongside each other, mm-hmm. um, uh, mutually informing each other. In, in different ways, so that that bigger story of creator creation uh, made in the image of God, uh, and and with the work of Christ, reconciling, redeeming the world. Uh, where where do I fit in that? Um, and how do you pull these two crazy things that have at least in the Protestant side of the church been pushed apart uh, more often than not, so that we've lost the ability and the language to interact uh, with the art and with the Bible, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you do with that? And mm-hmm. so my, my thesis in the, in the integrated project was a lot about how do we uh, first understand ourselves as human beings in light of the humanity of Christ. Mm-hmm. If, if this is God enfleshed and I'm an image of God, what do I do with that? Mm-hmm. Uh, how does how do I interpret my own humanity? Mm. And then from there, looking at what does it mean to be creative? Mm. And so it, th- those were so I had to get this story, mm-hmm. this really big story that starts in Genesis, and, mm-hmm. um, and and a lot of it circled around embodiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does it mean to be a body? Uh, you, seems really difficult um, if you're running with a scriptural imagination to understand how you can be the image of God without and not be a body. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, you kind of have a body to image God. Um, and so that, that turned me towards thinking about our senses mm-hmm. uh, more. Uh, there's a, there's a quote from um, a guy named David Ford. Uh, he says that arts are elaborate refinements of embodied perception. And that's been the quote that I've sort of hung my hat on. Mm-hmm. The arts are elaborate refinements of embodied perception. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that it's kind of become the, I guess a lens mm. for, for thinking through, mm. you've got the scriptural imagination. Um, I, I want to be engaged with that, but I don't want to make cheap, uh, illustrations of, yeah. Christianity. I'm not. I don't want to use my art as a weapon or use it as 
something that I can just prove a point and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. then I think, you know, we were talking about illustration a minute ago, and I, I think there's the, there's different levels of illustration. And, and I think often Christian art can become it, an illustration as something that you can you can get the idea. And once you have that idea, you don't need the image mm-hmm. anymore. Uh, so, like, you've got uh, you know, Joe Camel for a Camel cigarettes, right? Well, who cares about Joe Camel? You've got your cigarette. But really, good art holds everything together. You mm-hmm. can't have the idea apart from the image. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that runs pretty well. You know, like, we're not Gnostics. Mm. So, uh, or Christian Christianity is not a Gnostic mm. way of looking at the world. We are bodies and making sense of ourselves within the world. Uh, in relation to Christ and, and his humanity, mm. how, do, how do we live, and what does that mean for being an artist? Yeah, yeah, thanks. And just thinking about, and Phil, you might have some thoughts on this, um, thinking about your comment, the church didn't necessarily equip me with this big, maybe not the big, the grand narrative and how it all fits together. And we're sort of, it's a little bit, it's biblical literacy to an extent. What do you, What's going on? Why are we, where, what, are, what have we lost? What do we need to regain in terms of our biblical literacy in terms of, I don't know, the story or what, I don't know, anything you want to speak to about that? Just just talk about. It's a pretty simple question. What do we need to regain? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's fair. That's yeah. pretty simple. That's why I just said, you know, just yeah. talk about it because I'm sure you've got thoughts. Ah, wow. I think we live, I think we live in a very challenging age. Um, I've lived long enough to, to barely remember the introduction of the television. Okay. Wow. It's a long time ago. It's a long time ago. I barely remember when I saw my first television. I think I was four or five at the mm-hmm. time. Um, and so the world is changing dramatically. I very vividly remember searching around as to whether I would write my dissertation on an IBM Selectric or on a computer, mm. an Acorn computer or something. Um, spent a lot of time with the mainframe in Cambridge, you know, cranking away code. You know, I, I don't... The yeah. world has changed yeah. <laughs> Just, dramatically. Yeah. And I think with that, we're in the midst of a huge experiment and a very dangerous one because what we have developed is extremely powerful. And playing around with extremely powerful substances could hurt us. Now, I don't think we should turn back the clock and not have our computers. We wouldn't be having podcasts, for example. If, you know. So I think there's a lot of good there. Um but I do think we need to regain our balance in some ways. I think we need to recognize that substances, substances are substance, substances mm. which have good applications, but if we get into substance abuse, we're damaging ourselves. So we need to think clearly about how do I use a powerful tool to do powerful work and then put it away as a tool. So that I'm working with it, it's not working me over. Um, it's an obvious, you know, I, I'm sure most people have thought about this. But so I, I think we, we need to be concerned about, you know, how God wants to use our time, how he wants to focus our minds, how he wants to um, um, develop our capacities, which he has given us. How are we responsible stewards of what he has made us to be, um, and how how do we invoke, you know, his spirit to give us the necessary disciplines that we're not just surfing through life. Mm. 
You know, the, 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 I remember my first experience of a hyperlink. Again, a person from Harvard came over and they were doing this and they said, if you, this blue underlined thing, if you punch that button, it will take you to a, a map of that whole archaeological excavation. I'm going, wow, that's amazing. You know, I remember seeing that for the first time. And hyperlinks now have made us somewhat fractured individuals. You know, I, I'm reading an essay online, good essay, and it hyperlinks to a few others. And before I know it, I think, I bet that hyperlink will lead me to a better essay. Mm. So I think we need to regain our balance and be concerned with how we're being formed mm. by our environment and, and you know, submit our daily practices to God and say, you know, mm. keep me using these substances well, yeah. um, but don't let them use me. Yeah. And then so then how do we in our in this kind of in this like if, if scripture causes us and your close the close attention to scripture causes us to slow down, do you have any I mean, like, are there other other thoughts that you've got? And that's sort of what you're saying, like not letting technology sort of, um, or yeah, substances, not abusing those, you know, the good things. Um, how how do we? I mean, sitting and reading scripture is 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 a good thing for us to be doing. How how do we? How else can we? Like, how do we? How are we going to? How do we regain the big story? What? I, you know, you you won't be surprised to hear me say this as someone who's been in education for most of my life. Yeah. I do think we need we need to focus on re-educating ourselves. Yeah. And I think we need to help younger people better because I, I referred earlier to our technology as power, a powerful tool or a mm-hmm. set of powerful tools. And uh, in the workshop, you don't take a five-year-old and say, here, why don't you go to town on this table saw? You know, I mean, that's a powerful tool, and it does work quickly. So it's not just a matter of slowing down because some aspects of my Mm -hmm. Bible reading have sped up immensely because I'm saving the time from walking from my desk over to that Hebrew lexicon and pulling it down. I pop it up on screen. Mm -hmm. So some things are faster, but with that speed can come a kind of frenetic productivity where we never stop and reflect. And And I'm an extrovert, so I... I don't naturally, I don't naturally live with inside my head. I like things coming in my ears and my eyes, and you know, I like yeah. things coming in from the outside. So I'm not the best at sitting and reflecting. But I, I, I just think we need to regain our balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Adam, do you have any thoughts on that? I think um, I do think visual art helps. Uh, we're very, I. I when I'm riding the bus home in the morning, my or in the in the evening, I mean, uh, my little game is to try and count the number of people on the bus, and then count the number of people that are plugged in or have their earbuds in and, and whatnot. And um, that's fine. You know, it's, it's what it is. I can't do it. But um, how much time we spend plugged in and just listening to stuff, so it becomes passive in that way and I, I wonder about uh, learning to look mm-hmm. more um, I think learning to look well at, at art mm. uh, and, and I, I think I used to kick back against that idea like oh well, that's, that's just a really high fluting you know, highbrow way of going about mm. life like mm. glad you've got the time for that um, 
and now I I, I want to find more time for myself even mm. um, and even if it's just 10 minutes of paying attention to what somebody else has made mm. uh, and and delighting in that mm. uh, you know, the, the, maybe there's a spiritual practice of uh finding the things you delight in one thing a day what mm. you know what, what have you just fallen in love with today uh, and i think art art can do that mm. and i mean art does a whole bunch of other things so yeah. it's not just the like oh i really like this painting i mean there, there's profound work out there that uh i don't like mm. uh but it's important yeah. uh but i think there are other things and i, I you know i don't mean Sit in front of a Thomas Kincaid painting, please. No. <laughs> please don't. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, why not? Tell us why not. No. <laughs> no. Because not, I think he, I think not he, enough light. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, depends on what's light. <laughs> yeah. L I T E. I think he got the story wrong. Yeah. I don't think he tells the story right. Right. Are there some artists it's, that you think yeah. tell the story well? Oh, absolutely. Were you, sorry, Phil, you were, gonna, were you going to say something in there? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't going to respond to that question, but I think there are a lot of people that tell the story well, and they are the ones who observe the way the yeah. world is, mm-hmm. yep. not the way it would. It might seem pleasant if it yes. were this yeah. way, although it would be pretty banal and boring if it mm-hmm. were actually that way. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the, what I was going to comment on, though, is um, uh, part of are regaining our balance is learning somehow to rest. And, um, you know, I talked to students I, in the last day and a half. I've talked to a number of several students, probably three, who have said, I'm, I'm just shattered. I didn't sleep well last night. I'm, mm-hmm. So sleeping is a difficulty in this modern time. We have nice beds and dark rooms, but people are not sleeping well for mm-hmm. various reasons. Um, and uh, I'm reminded of, uh, you know, that great neuroscientist Winston Churchill, I mean, he was a polymath, so maybe he was a neuroscientist, but he's, he's talking about in his in his lovely little book entitled uh, Painting as a Pastime, he, he talks about the way if you make widgets all day and you decide, you know, I'm going to rest now, unless you start doing something else, you will keep making widgets in your mind, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what you do, and your mind will get on this loop and you'll never be able to rest. So he was really commending finding one or two really good other activities, call them hobbies or avocations, if you will, if you're not a pro. And he was not a professional painter, though he did recently sell, or his estate sold a painting for 2.2 million pounds, I think. So, you know, but as an artist, you have to die before anyone reaps the, you know, the benefit of your, your work. That's right. That's um, what I'm going for. Yeah. But, but, I, but I find that to be true, and I bet Adam does too, that, you know, the, that his, his theory is, you know, here's where the neuroscience comes in, um, by occupying your mind with this other thing, you're actually resting the part of your mind that is the historian or the politician or the whatever else he was doing mm-hmm. when he picked up a brush. And he didn't start painting, I think, until he was in his 40s at a garden party and saw a woman who was frustrated. And he picked up a brush and started painting. And I think it frustrated her even more because he was <laughs> quite quite adept from the get-go. But so he so he really um, got into that, and that was very refreshing mm-hmm. to him. Um, and, and so you know, I think that having varied activities in our lives, not always just plugging away doing the same thing. So if you're a visual artist, twenty four seven, 
You need to sit down and read sometime, or you need to take a walk, or you need to do something else so that that part of your brain gets rested. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've spent all day in a studio before, and every studio that I've had, I've never had windows. Mm-hmm. You know, after about six hours of that. That's what they do in casinos and I'm shopping done. malls. Yep. It's just torture. Yep. So I, yeah. I, I have to get out and go yeah. and do something else. Yeah, yeah. Um, Who is telling the story well? Um, I, th- I probably the probably the biggest influence on me artistically uh, is my painting professor from undergrad and grad school, Mary McCleary. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think she's telling the story really well. Mm. Um, And she's a collage artist that it's like meta collage. Mm. Uh, So it's like collaged collage, just hundreds and hundreds and thousands of little things, little bits and bobs of junk. And like real life stuff, the sort yeah, of thing yeah, that feels yeah. saying, so, like it's so things like, as they really are. Well, she's she collects. And yeah. She's collected these little things out of like gumball machines, you mm. know, little or cracker jacks, mm. cracker jack box mm. prizes, mm. Um, and then she puts them into these huge collages that tell this. They tell these really profound stories about where we are now. She's. She's been doing pieces um, that are similar to the Venetas paintings from that are these still life paintings from Northern Europe uh, that are often these huge bouquets of flowers and they're just abundance Mm. upon abundance. Mm. Uh, But there's always something in there that reminds you ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And so they're kind of these little, they have these little backdoor ways of getting at you. But Mary's work, it's this beautiful stuff. Mm, um, uh, there's that's the first person that comes to mind. Yeah. But Mary, yeah. Well, I mean, the the question I struggle a little bit with the question because I I would probably rephrase it: whose art is indwelling the story well? Mm-hmm. You know, which would maybe yeah. be a different way to put it because yeah. not every painting is trying to tell no, the, no, no, no. the story or a big mm. story. Um, and in that regard, you know, I, I think I was asked some time ago to reflect on why I do art avocationally mm-hmm. now, and, and, and I do because I think it's part of me, you know. Um, and, and in reflecting on why I do it, I was also thinking about why other people do it. And I think some people um, are, just have a creative urge. They want to make things, mm-hmm. and they're good at it. And there's a little bit of that in me. You know, I, I like to make things, paintings especially. Um, and then others have need an outlet because they have something they want to say, and it needs to be said, and it, it needs to be out there. And, and art is their medium for, for commenting on or challenging the world around them. As I thought about my whole lifetime with art, you know, from being a kid onward, I think I really um, – I – I love the world around me. I love beauty. I love nature. And I think I wanted somehow to engage it. I wanted to connect with it. I wanted to make it part of my existence here in some kind of, yeah. uh, you know, visual way or some something tactile. And so I would – I love birds, for example. So I painted all these I, – I still have some of them. My mother collected everything. She kept loved it, you know. everything. Yeah, she yeah. loved everything I did, so she kept it. 
Um, so I would paint birds, you know, bird after bird after bird. And, uh, and so to me that's connection. So I think there are a lot of different ways that an artist indwells the story. They may, they may have something they want to say through their paintings um, and need to say through their paintings, and they need to do it uh, with integrity, mm. okay? So uh, make it true to the real world. Um, others are just, you know, mirroring God's creativity, you know, as sub-creators. You know, he's made a lot of beauty. I can make something beautiful, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then others of us, it's just our mode of celebration, and that's also part the way in which art can indwell the story. Yeah. But it needs to be it needs to be honest celebration of the beauty that is in the world despite its brokenness, rather than to be a cosmetic beauty that doesn't really exist anywhere in the world because that's what that's what kind of grates. You know, that's what doesn't work. Yeah. So I think there are better and worse ways of indwelling the ongoing story. Um, yeah. Right. yeah, I think I think better and worse ways, and I think there's a multiplicity. Yeah, like you're a saying. multiplicity of ways, and and I don't know that any one artist could 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 do it all in their work. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I I'm still drawn to Mark Rothko yeah. and and his huge color field paintings. And ten years ago, I would have thought what a joke. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. which. Uh, <laughs> Don't quote me, yeah, yeah. but, but uh, more and more, I'm 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 fascinated by these things uh, and the resonance that the the pieces have. Yeah. Um, and and I think I think those are important. I mean, particularly the Rothko Chapel in, in Houston, where you have kind of these gray on black, black on gray mm-hmm. field paintings. They're just yeah. huge and and. Uh, I think they speak about absence and loss and lament, and I think that also has to be part of the conversation yeah. as well. Mm. Um, well, it's telling things uh, as they really are. Yeah, not, you, yeah. yeah you, you're not you're not coding it over, yeah. and I, I, I'm I think I have an allergy for that. If you're if you're coding, sugar coating something or whitewashing something over uh, so it looks better than it it really is. Um, Okay. And then there and there are creations of things that otherwise don't exist. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I'm kind of representational in my inclination, but mm-hmm. you think of someone like Mako Fujimura. Mm-hmm. You know, his work is not, you know, always representational to be sure, but he's creating like the Golden Sea, his, one mm-hmm. of his latest works. You know, that's something, you know, it's a marvelous thing to behold just because of the medium, the use of the medium, the way the medium plays and the way he's worked it and the tradition from which he comes. You know, so he's 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 operating with integrity as more of an expressionist in that painting, at least. Um, so, again, I agree with Adam. You know, there are all different ways for artists to indwell the story, a multiplicity of ways. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it's it's all good. Uh, yeah. some, some of the big influences, and, in, you know, I think we're always influenced by our teachers. Mm-hmm. So um, sure. Dr. Carl Steele at, at, at Wheaton was one that I, I really appreciated because he was not averse to um, walking up to a student in the midst of creating his masterpiece and saying, let me have your palette. Now let me show you what you should be doing and watching the shock and awe in the student <laughs> as, as, as Steele takes, you know, begins to mess with their painting. Mm-hmm. And he, w- he was just a master. He would say, look, learn the craft, create yeah. your masterpiece later. Yeah. I can teach you the craft. Once you have the tools, mm-hmm. 
then go out and create your masterpiece, but don't think you're creating it now. Yeah, um. <laughs> that, that's that was what that's what got hammered home uh, for me in my education as well. And those are, I, I'm I'm more and more thankful that, um, like I said, Mary McClary, another my other painting professor, Bob Kinzel. Uh, they they just drilled that in. I, I'm not worried mm-hmm. about your self-expression right now. Yeah. <laughs> and if I if I can tie that back to like biblical studies and reading, yeah. biblical reading. This is great. Um, tie it on back. You know, some art teachers will say, "Go do your thing. You know, express yourself. Bring it, and I'll respond to it." You know, and others like Dr. Steele would say, "Let me teach you how to do this well." And so I think a lot of times in our in our Bible studies, you know, we sit around and we open the Bible and everyone says, well, I think it means this, this is what it means to me. I think it means that. Yeah. Okay, you know, I'm glad we're reading the Bible. Stuff but let's learn, let's learn to read it well because therein lies, you know, lie the riches of the text, not just in our subjective mm-hmm. sort of the Bible becomes a Rorschach diagram. Yeah. And it's telling a whole lot about <laughs> me but not a lot about itself. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and I think inhabiting it more and more, it begins to shape and inform who you are. And the same with the craftsmanship. And, uh, if, if you don't love the craft, uh, it, go, going to the museum with my wife is, is an experience because I, I often I, I go into like the Vancouver Art Gallery or somewhere, and, and depending on the exhibition, like I feel like I'm casing the joint for a burglary because it, it happens really quickly. I can walk in and go, Yep, nothing I'm interested in here, uh, and 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 there's probably tons of hubris in that, but I think part of what's going on is that I, there's an intuition about the craft, uh, and I can see it in particular artists in their own growth over years and or, or lack thereof, um, or just sheer degradation in, in how they paint. Um, they've moved away from paying attention. I don't necessarily mean just paying attention to stuff in front of you. Mm. I mean paying attention to how you handle paint, right. how you yeah. use your brushes. Mm-hmm. Um, do you use the cheap stuff? Yeah. You know, and maybe there's a time and a place for that. Um, like most of my undercoating and my paints are cheap paint. Mm. I don't want to waste the expensive stuff because paint's expensive, mm. right? Yeah. Um, but you got to care about that stuff. And, it, yeah. and it's the same thing when you're, when, when you're learning all the, the basics, principles of design and Whatnot, like you you can't improvise mm. unless you've got that stuff down. Yeah, uh, and and I think that's where the magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to go back to his uh, early illustration of the cardboard boxes, yeah. Yeah. you know, some people would say, okay, that was stultifying five months doing this. It's kind of like Bible five hundred three biblical yeah. exegesis <laughs> and interpretation. You know, people will look at that and yeah. think, man, uh, this is so tedious. But diagram. but through the through the tedium, mastery begins to develop, skill begins to develop, and then in the use of that, you know, his drawing abilities now, having been forced to do that, mm. um, have benefited from what at the time probably seemed pretty tedious. Yeah. My cardboard yeah. boxes will make you cry. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so no, but here's my here's my little. It's not a pushback, yeah. but I remember having this discussion with people as a student. 
so it's like can the average person even read the bible anymore if there's all these if there's if there is all these layers and there's there's rich rich intricacies and the more we understand the more we pay attention what about your average person who hasn't done that and then where does that leave them in terms of both their understanding of scripture and their access their accessibility to scripture and then their interpretation of it mm-hmm. can a can a average punter watch a movie You've got movie critics, and you have a whole spe- spectrum of um, astute watchers of movies who are watching for camera work and angle and editing, and you know what happened on the cutting room floor. I, I'm not one of those, <laughs> so I'm not speaking. I'm speaking in gobbledygook, but um, everyone can watch a movie, and with a certain level of um, goodwill, ca- can talk about the movie, enjoy the movie, work with others on the movie, um, and they can get better at that. And the more they think about a movie shouldn't just go into me and do its work, but I need to work through that film so that whatever work it's doing on me internally is not damaging, but it's perhaps helpful. I need to process the movie, in other words. I, I think we can get better at that. So um, I think that's true of biblical interpretation, too. The last thing that biblical experts, in quotes, I'm putting that in quotes, <laughs> would want to happen would be to discourage others from reading Scripture. Yeah. In fact, we want to encourage them from the doing that. Yeah, so right. to change my mm-hmm. metaphor, just because you have medical researchers doesn't mean you don't need a GP, nor that you should be so depressed by the, you know, the, the expertise of the medical researcher that you give up on personal hygiene. Right. Get my point? Yes, totally. Yeah, keep brushing your teeth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So that's really that's really helpful. Um, our time is almost gone. Is there anything left that you would like to say? I'll say one thing, but jump in if I okay. Um, and this this is not a big summative comment necessarily, no. but it's just another thing that um, having worked as a representational visual artist really helped me understand biblical texts and biblical narratives is that one of the things that Dr. Steele um, taught us, whom I've mentioned before, um, was that um, it's a sign of of, uh, amateurish art to paint a tree and try to paint every leaf on the tree. You know, you you paint the broad uh, passages of color, Mm. and then you provide just those, you know, suggestive details that enable the observer, the person looking at your painting, mentally to fill in all the rest. So he was a, he was a uh, impressionist landscape artist was what he did mostly. And uh, any few inches of his canvas would look like an abstract painting. You wouldn't see any anything you could recognize in three square inches. It looked like an abstract painting. But everything in relation to everything else would prompt the observer in such a way that you were really looking at this landscape. You were seeing what he saw as he had represented it to you. And I think the Bible, you know, the the biblical narratives are often masterful at that. They'll tell you just this this one or two details, you know, about Eli not giving weight to God, but giving weight to his sons and himself, and becoming blind and dim-sighted. You know, and all of those little physical details are meant to suggest something about where he was spiritually, so, you know, looking for those suggestive details that you know, is just, you know, masterful um, verbal painting, yeah. I would say. Yeah, no, that's helpful. And I, I think to follow on that, uh, a particular artist's style 
is what interprets their subject matter. Mm-hmm. So the, the way that you're painting, uh, how heavy-handed you are, what light touches. And I, I think the parallels there uh, with different genres in the Bible are f- fantastic yeah. um, and, and really helpful. And, and I think the more that I've read about art and art theory and, and whatnot and, and then paralleling that with stuff in, the, in biblical studies as well, they, they, be, they mutually inform mm. life for me. Mm. And I, that's what I got so excited about with my integrated project mm. was the, the layers of it all, that you can, you can have this one text there's 325 different interpretations of it. You know, maybe that's overshooting, but um, and I would not agree with nearly all of them. I'm sure, but that the surplus of it fascinates me. And the same with art—that you can stand in front of a painting or a sculpture or watch a movie, and everybody's going, "Well, I think it means this. I think it means that." Yeah. And I think that's exciting, but I, I think we've often learned to be afraid of that. At least in, in my background, we're afraid of that mm-hmm. um, rather than learning how to be charitable with, with how we see, mm-hmm. with how we listen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think really good art helps you do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think really good Bible reading helps you do that. But there's a relational aspect in all of it. Mm-hmm. You also have to, <laughs> um, uh, what's the word? I, I want to say tutelage, mm. um, maybe discipleship in mm-hmm. that, but being mentored and, and, yeah. and uh, y- you're not going to walk into a museum and go, Oh, I got it all. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sa- same with, same with biblical reading. Yeah, totally. Can I, can I add yeah, to that? Of course. It's on that same line and I know we're running out of time. No, no, go but, for it. Um, I remember reading a guy not too long ago, a few years ago, who was actually an, an, an industrial designer, and he was talking about what makes a design beautiful mm. and what makes great, and he was comparing it to art, you know, and, and uh, what makes good art and what makes great art. And his comment was that good or great art re- repays repeated viewings, yeah. Yeah. keeps you coming back, and as you come back, you see something that you hadn't seen before. Because either it's so well rendered, so deftly rendered that you're now appreciating the dexterity of the brush strokes, mm-hmm. which you were before you were just appreciating the composition or the light or you know whatnot. Um, and that's exactly like the Bible. That's why we continue to read the Bible. We don't, you know, you you read the Bible through and think, well, I've read that book, done. Yeah. You know, I'll move on. All the New York Times bestsellers, I'm mm-hmm. done. It, it, it's because it's great. It repays repeated visitation. Yeah. And so in that sense, I think it qualifies as, as great in all kinds of ways, but great art yeah. as well. Yeah. Who do, you, who do you keep going back and looking at? Uh, and and when, I, when I think of going to a museum, uh, I just walk past stuff. Uh, and, and, and some of it just needs to be walked past. Um, but uh, I, I'm always interested in reflecting after going to a museum – uh, what did I look at and then go and look at something else, but then go back to that first piece mm-hmm. and look at what, what calls me back. Yeah. Um, and, 
and of course, you know, you're having to push yourself outside that as well and look at the things. Uh, you know, I need to learn some stuff. Yeah, here. things that are hard. The things the that are hard, hard work, the hard and yeah, yeah. yeah, that you, um, you're struggling to see the right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it does yeah. tell you something about yourself. Totally. As well, like, oh, I keep going back to this one thing, and I just don't know why, but yeah. God, that thing is beautiful. Yeah. Um, and and I think I, I have an allergy to elitism and and kind of highbrow stuff about it, and yeah. so like, if you like a painting of a duck. Man, I, that's I love it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like um, I, I want to help you learn to love other things, uh, but you know, I, I I still love landscape paintings. I love watercolor landscapes. Mm-hmm. Phil does some really nice watercolor landscapes. They're beautiful. Yeah, mm-hmm. just keep coming back. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll get back to doing some someday. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Boker Tov. Okay, the way I'd like to just to briefly end our time is with a, a series of honed would-you-rather questions. Oh, oh, boy. oh dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> He's always got me okay. in trouble. So just don't overthink it, whatever okay. comes to mind first, okay? Are we are we going in any particular order? I think or? we'll go Phil, then Adam, Phil, then Adam, Phil, Why don't we Adam. toggle back and forth so oh. I get a chance to think, okay? Okay, <laughs> okay. 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 Right. Oh, there's some easy ones. Would you rather have, given that you've got a talent for art, for you know painting, I have to just tweak this. Would you rather have a talent for singing or a talent for dancing? Singing, singing. Would you be a? Would you rather never be able to open your mouth, or never be able to open your eyes? Uh, I already dream about not opening my mouth at times, <laughs> so uh, I'll go with that one. <laughs> I would get, I would rather have my eyes than my mouth. Absolutely. Excellent. Would you rather be forced to sit through a really terrible movie or walk through a really an art gallery with really terrible art? Except that you, you, you know. would you rather be forced to forced, and you're forced to do both. Um I would rather walk through a really terrible art gallery. Mm-hmm. I would get some exercise. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I feel like there's more redeemable things walking through the museum if yeah. it's just, in fact, walking. Okay. Would you rather paint Leviticus chapters 11 to 14, which if you, or Chronicles 1 to, 1 Chronicles 1 to 4. So you've got Leviticus 1 to, to 11 to 14 is, you're recalling that, all the laws about, <laughs> yeah. yep, things. Mm-hmm. 1 Chronicles 1 to 4, which is such and such. Is yeah, father and yeah, I, I think I think chronicles, yeah, <laughs> one chronicles, one to four, all genealogies. You could do a lot with that. I was there's I a lot was, of begetting. There's a lot of begetting. A lot of begets. <laughs> uh, I was I was going to go with Leviticus. Really? Not, actually, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I find that fascinating. You can you can have it, and I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, just, that's how going to be our next show at the region. Next, yeah, that's so, right. yeah, look out. Sure, look out. <laughs> Thanks, Adam and Phil, for being here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And thanks for those who have been listening to this podcast for the last few months. If you're enjoying it or if you have any feedback, please do leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. This is a great way to get the podcast features in the, featured in the iTunes store and to spread a little word about this project. And if you're only just hearing about Regent College through this podcast, you can find out all sorts of information about who we are, what we do, and maybe how you might come and join us at www.regent-college.edu. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to Regent College Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you'd like to hear more content like this, you can find lectures, conferences, and entire courses at regentaudio.com. 
And to find out more information on Regent College's degrees and upcoming events, go to regent-college.edu. <laughs>